Okay, Charles, I'm on. Thanks. Sorry. I'm just going to ask you a few um, quick fire questions. To no start problem. With. Okay. So, Chinese or Chippy? Chippy. Um, Dickie bows or Thai? Thai. Uh, mountains or sea? I don't know. I'll mm -hmm. kill you the best both. of both. Go for the mountains. Mountains. Tesco's or Asda? Tesco. I'd have to agree. Give, I mean, I did my shopping and they, give me, they sent me a coupon for £4.2p in the post, so it doesn't matter where you shop, I mean, it's all going to cost the same now. But Tesco all the way. Yep. Um, box of chocolates or a bunch of flowers? For me? <laughs> Whatever. Give? You okay. Um, I would go for a bunch of flowers. Bunch of flowers, okay. A wee controversial one. <laughs> Queens or University of Ulster? Um, let me think about it. Um, mm. University of Ulster. University of Ulster. Um, Massey or John Deere? Massey all the way. If it ain't red, <laughs> leave it in the shed. Ew. <laughs> and the last one, Kilkeel or Analog? <laughs> For us Analog people. Um, Bally Martin all the way. Oh, well. Um, so Andrew, will you tell us a wee bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what you're going to talk about tonight? Okay, uh, my name's Andrew Mullen, and I live in Kilkeel. Um, which is, you kind of go past Newcastle and keep going down that road. You've probably never been there. Um, I wasn't there until I started going with a girl and then ended up working at a church about three months later. Um, we broke up, but I'm still there, so. <laughs> I never see her about the town now, but anyway. Um, so yeah, I work at Morn Presbyterian Church in Kilkeel, and I've been there for Five years. I studied law here at the University of Ulster and then I worked, I did some in Queens as well, then I worked up in Coleraine as Listers and then started Union College in Belfast. Then the ship made a Kilkeel to get me as far away from Belfast as possible. Um, so that's a bit more. Do you want me to say how I became a Christian? Is that to come? Okay, yeah, that's important. Oh, and you want me to say what I'm speaking on tonight? So I became a Christian when I was 10 years of age. And for a long time, it, it probably didn't mean an awful lot to me. But as I started to, um, nearly, nearly finishing school, I started to realize, like, if this means anything, it's going to have to mean everything. Um, came to, started actually in McGee, the two years here at Jordanstown. And at university, before I started, I remember before I started at Jordanstown, a friend of mine called Hazel Moore, who's a physio, aren't all girls in Jordanstown, either physios, OTs, um, you know, it's pretty much one of those things, or speech therapists, that's the other thing. Um, guys are just, I don't know. But anyway, she said to me, before starting Jordanstown, she said, in Jordanstown, or in university, you either go one or two ways. You either really get on well as a Christian, or you just disappear after Freshers Week and are never seen again. And that's true, that's been my experience. And university here in Jordanstown really helped me. There was a, the president was a guy called Johnny Gibson, and it was a really good year group um, that I came up a long way behind, but they had a big influence in Jordanstown. So that was great. And the topic I'm speaking on tonight, uh, what is a true Christian? That's great. Thank you, Andrew. Okay. Um, I'm just going to pray for you okay. and then it's over to you. So, um, Father, I just thank you for everybody coming here tonight, Lord, um, giving up their Thursday night to come and spend time listening to your word. And Lord, I just thank you that we are all able to do that and come here and spend time hearing about you and hearing the words you have to bring to us, Lord. Lord, you pray that you help Andrew now as he gets up and speaks, Lord, just that everything he says, Lord, comes from you, and that you give him the words tonight to touch those who are here. 
I pray, Lord, that everybody who goes and leaves here tonight, Lord, will be challenged by the word that is brought to them and that your presence be felt in this place. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Okay. Uh, thanks, Colin. Colin's going to graduate this year, hopefully, and I'm going to go to his graduation because he's been at university for about 20 years now. Every, every time I come to Christian Union, Colin Hamilton is there, but Colin, we're, we're glad you're still here. Um, there is um, a, a number here if you want to send in text messages. I think I'm going to do a Q&A at the end. So if there's something I say that you disagree with or want clarity on, or what am I saying, where is it coming from, how can I back it up, just stick in a text message and I'll try to answer it. The question tonight, what is a true Christian? There are loads of ways that you can answer that question. Um, there's not just one way to skin a cat. You could do this any number of ways. But tonight I'm going to look at Romans chapter 8. I'm not going to look at the whole chapter, just a few verses from Romans 8. So if you have a Bible, could I ask you to open it up with me? We're going to read quite a long uh, section. Is this mic echoing? Is it just I'm speaking? Is it okay? It's fine. Thanks, Charles. We're going to read tonight from uh, Romans 8, from verse 9 to 18, but I'm really going to focus on 14 uh, through to, to 17. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, this is God's Word. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then this is what I really want to focus on. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So this is uh, my question. What is a true Christian? Let me read to you um, what J.I. Packer says. J.I. Packer's a really well-known Christian author, um, probably one of the, the most important books to be, to be written for, for young Christians. is a book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. And in chapter 19 of that book, J.I. Packer asks the question, what is a Christian? And this is what he says. Let me read it to you. He writes, the question can be answered in many ways. But the richest answer that I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. The truth of adoption give us, gives us the deepest insights the New Testament affords into the greatness of God's love. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 speaks about adoption. And adoption is that family idea of being brought into a family, not by birth, but being brought into it in a legal sense. And Packer says that if you want to understand what a true Christian is, let's keep it really simple. We could go to Ephesians 2. We could go into some real great theology. We could look at the storyline of the Bible. But Packer says, keep it simple. A Christian is somebody who calls God Father. 
And that's what Romans chapter 8 is speaking about. How do you view God? How do you talk to God? We're not born into God's family. Uh, one of the things that I get to do is go and speak in school assemblies. And at every assembly, the kids always finish with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in, in heaven. And that's a good thing to learn. It's a good thing to say. But not everybody who says, Our Father, actually knows God as Father. You can pray that prayer. But our Father who art in heaven is recorded in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us who this Sermon on the Mount is really directed to. And Matthew chapter 6, this prayer that Jesus teaches is a prayer which is at the start of Matthew chapter 5 for the disciples. It's a prayer that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, are going to say. And so for Jesus, as he's thinking about being brought into the family, he's speaking about those who know God because they've been saved, because they've been born again. God has called us to himself. God is the one who, by his grace, um, has sent Jesus. Jesus has died on the cross. We receive what Jesus has done on the cross by faith. We believe it. We say, you know what? I'm going to take you at your word, God. What Jesus did on the cross, as he died there, he died for my sin. I want you to forgive me. I don't have to earn it. But I want you to forgive me. I want you to bring me into your family. I want you to save me. I want you to be king of my life. And then God brings us into his family. We're saved. He calls us heirs. Uh, verse 1, it says that we're now in Christ. If you know your Old Testament, and I've been going through the Old Testament, the church that we preach in, um, or that I preach in, and we've been going through the Old Testament, going through all this stuff about the land, and the people of Israel were crossing Egypt, and they're going into the land. Whenever they reached the land, that's where they stayed, that's where they lived. But for us in the New Testament, we're not in a land we move forward and all our blessings come to us in Christ. And a Christian is somebody who's been saved, who's in Christ, who knows Jesus and has been brought into the family. Um, I don't know if any of you ever watched Britain's Got Talent. Um, I think I did watch a couple of episodes of Britain's Got Talent, but my favorite act ever in Britain's Got Talent was Stavros Flatley. Does anybody remember Stavros Flatley? <laughs> Um, and I just loved that, especially the wee boy came out, you know, and he kissed his muscle. He had no muscle, and he was a man to hold and was loving it. Well, Stavros Flatley uh, was definitely my favorite act. And whenever they, they got through the first edition, Simon Kyle says this. He said, you two have the most fantastic relationship. You know, the big fat father and then the wee fat son goes, <laughs> goes you two have the most fantastic relationship. And then Sam, Simon Kyle, of all people, goes, I love that. And then the semi-final, this is a few years ago, they're in the semi-final and the father turns to his son on live TV, everybody's going mad, and the father says to his son, thanks for letting me dance with you. And so this dad delights, not in the adulation of the judges, Simon, Kyle, Amanda Holden, whoever, not in the round of applause of the crowd, but this dad delights, what in? Being able to have this relationship, this fantastic relationship with his son. And if you're here tonight and you have a good relationship with your dad, then speaking about God as Father is no problem for you. That's a really easy thing for you to do. As I was driving up here tonight, I was thinking about my dad. He lives up in Ballymoney. I don't see him as much. And I was thinking, you know, just different things. And I have a good relationship with my dad. And so for me to speak about God as Father is fine. But maybe you're here tonight and speaking about God as Father is really difficult for you. I was speaking in Castle Durg a while back, which is way over in the west of Ireland. Um, somebody over here is from Castle Durg because people are laughing. Um, I remember going to Castle Durg and getting lost in the way there, but it is the sticks. Like Kilkeel's bad, but Castle Durg, it's a whole other, you know, it's a whole other jungle out there. 
I was speaking in Castle Derg, and I think I was speaking at a youth thing, and I was talking to a youth leader at the end, and he was telling me about taking the kids away on a trip. And he says, taking 30 kids away on this minibus, he says, 29 out of the 30 come from broken homes. So there's 29 children who to think about God as Father is a difficult thing for them. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Your neighbor, you could think it's a great family, but nobody knows what's going on behind closed doors. Let me tell you that, nobody. And for some of you here tonight, your father's maybe absent. You maybe never knew him. Or maybe he just wasn't a man that you wanted to know. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain when you think about your father. And we're living in a society where to have a, a family unit, as God set up with mom and dad both there, is increasingly unlikely. Um, relationships break up. People get sick. And so maybe for you tonight to speak about Father is difficult. And to think of God as Father, it's just a concept that you think, pick something else. But it's not going to put me off tonight because the way that I want you to think about it is to let the Bible define for you what kind of Father God wants to be. Don't take your Father, really good or really bad, and push Him on to God. Say, I'm going to listen tonight. And I'm going to listen, try and be objective as possible and say, God, what kind of father do you want to be to me? And maybe you'll leave here tonight rejoicing. Rejoicing because you can call God father. One of my favorite stories, let me tell you, it's a true one. It's uh, with regard to Edward Windsor. Edward Windsor, my, my grandfather always tells me this story about Edward Windsor, Prince of Wales. Um, he was to become King Edward VIII on the death of his father, George V, on January the 20th, 1936. He was the one that abdicated before he came king. He ran off with um, a, a Mrs. I can't remember her surname. Mrs. Simpson. There has been a film. He was the one that ran off with Mrs. Simpson. Um, and my granda always tells me this story, but I heard an interview that he gave, um, Edward Windsor, Prince of Wales, and the interviewer asked him the question, said, what were the memories you had of your father? And this is his answer. He says, the one thing I always remembered him saying to me was, Son, do not ever forget who you are. Son, do not ever forget who you are. And of course, who was he? He was the son of a king. He was a boy who could speak to his dad and know that he was the king. And so he was being brought into a family, and he was the child of a king. And his dad said to him, Son, don't ever forget who you are. And maybe if he'd remember that, he would never have abdicated the throne. And so tonight is worth thinking about adoption. If you're a Christian, what I want you to remember, do not ever forget who you are. Don't ever forget that you're a part of the family. Don't ever forget that you've been adopted. There's a few um, applications that I want to try and bring out from this passage, and the first one really ties in with this idea of do not ever forget who you are, and it's this idea that we're to be more like our Heavenly Father every day. I just look at verse 14. This is the first one. I'm getting more like my Father every day. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And I want you to just note that little word there, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Why do you sin? Why do you sin? I tell you why I sin. I sin whenever I forget. And what do I forget? I forget whose family I'm in. And that moment when I'm ready to click on something on the internet or sit down and watch a program, and that moment when I'm, you know, away from my friends and it's my money and I can do with it, that moment when 
nobody has asked me to pay and I can walk out the door. And that moment when I'm tempted and just about to sin, what has happened? I've forgotten. I've forgotten the family that I'm in. I've forgotten that God is my Father, that His Son Jesus died for me, and that He's adopted into me a family with loads of blessings. And so what does Paul write here for us? He says that if you're in God's family, you're to be getting more like your Father every day. Uh, Verses 12 and 13, if you read them, are all about killing sin. It's all about mortification. It's all about putting to death the misdeeds of the body. When you're saved, your sin is totally wiped off your account. That will not, you will not be punished for it. Jesus has died for you. He has taken the punishment for your sin. But that doesn't mean that you're perfect. Christians are not people who as soon as they're saved, voila, they never sin again. There's indwelling sin. And we're to fight that sin. And so Paul here in verses 12 and 13 says that we've got to kill sin. And then in the very next phrase he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those who kill sin, those who seek to live holy lives are the children of God. You know what it's like in families. Um, I was out in a house the other day, and there was this wee boy who walked in the house um, visiting this lady. I knew it wasn't her child, and she picked the wee boy up, and I was like, oh, what's his name? She told me his name. And then I says, he looks wild familiar. And I looked at this wee boy, and I says, his dad wouldn't happen to be. And then I named, I don't want to say the name, because there's some from Kilkeel and Anna along here. And, and he goes, yeah, it is. And just looking at this wee boy, who was only about a year old, I was able to tell you who his dad is. And I played football with his dad, and I could not believe it. The similarity. And, and I'm one of those kids. Um, people see me. My dad's a minister. Um, I'm a minister. And I turn up in pulpits, and people go, you know, I just knew when you stood up, you know, you're just like, you're just like your father. You talk like him. How? You, you know, you hold, you hold yourself like him. You, know, you read the Bible like I just think it's rubbish. But they tell me I'm so like him. And you're maybe like that. Girls, you're maybe like your mother. They say they've got that likeness. Christians are to have the family likeness. We're to look like family members. If there's a family, there's to be a likeness, killing sin. What is the one adjective that you would use to describe God? The one adjective that you would use to describe God is holy. God is a holy God. Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation chapter 4. Holy, holy, holy. So if you want to say something about God, He is holy. Now God's holiness means that He is above us, beyond us. He's perfect. But we're also to be holy. So if you say, I'm a believer, then the likeness that you are ultimately to have of God is that there's to be a holiness in your life. Somebody was telling me today, and they were speaking to, let's say, my generation, that's the generation above you, and they said, they say that Christians aren't radical enough. They're not different enough. They're not so far out. But Christians are to be radical. We're to be totally different. We're to be like those from the people in the Beatitudes. We're to be humble and teachable. We're to be repentant of our own sin. And we're to be peaceable. People often say, you know, God's leading me. He's, he's leading me to, to do this. God, God's led me to this particular role in the church, or God's led me not to do that particular role in the church, or God's led me to do that mission team, or God's led me to do that course. And we often speak about God's leading for particular decisions in our life. But God's leading is not just for particular decisions, this decision or this decision. God's leading is for all of our lives, not leading according to Romans 8, verse 14, as a leading ultimately to be like Him. It's a leading to holiness. And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's speaking to us and he says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So if you're saying God's leading me, He's going to be leading you in a way whereby you're humble and you're seeking holy, not just to be happy, but holiness. 
An old minister called McShane said this, it's not great talents God uses, but great likeness to Christ. Speaking to a couple of ministers last week, give you a wee example, phoned up one guy from Liverpool, talked to him for five minutes, put up the phone and said, you know what, if I'm ever in Liverpool, I'm never going to his church. Spoke to another minister, I don't know both these guys very well, although I have heard them both preach and they're excellent preachers, first class. Spoke to this other guy for five minutes and said, you know what, if I'm anywhere in a hundred miles of his place, I'm, well, I'm within a hundred miles, if I'm ever near his church, I'm going there. You know why? Because one, I know maybe the first guy had a bad day, maybe United got beaten in the Champions League that day, whatever. But I just said, there's something about this guy that it's not attractive. And then there's something about this other guy which is really attractive. And what was it? It was a humbleness and a gentleness that marked them out as sons of the Father. Are you pursuing holiness? Many of you will be Christians. Many will put your hand up and say, yeah, I'm a member of the family. Are we being led by God to be in His likeness? That desire to be killing sin and living for Him. We're not battling against sin. We're not living holy lives so that we belong. It's not, I'm not saying, I'm not preaching the sermon, do good things, live for God so you're a member of the family. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're in the family, if you know God as your Father, then you belong, so live for Him. So that's the first thing. Second, what else can we say about being a member of this family? will never be returned, will never be returned. I was talking to a mum a couple of weeks back, and she's a, she and her husband foster children. They have a, I think they have four children of their own, and then they have um, a couple of kids that they, they bring in as foster kids. And she had this wee boy. I'll tell you his name. His name was Bradley, and he was the cutest wee fella you ever did see. I used to ask questions in church, and he'd always put up his hand whether he knew them or not. And Bradley was fostered for about, I think it was like three months or six months by this lady. And she said, I remember she said to me, look, whenever I said I was going to foster children, I said it wouldn't be difficult. I would take them and look after them, and there'd be no problem giving them back. But she said, when I left him back, it broke my heart. Because we Bradley and his sister was going to be adopted into another family. But the fact that she had to leave him back, it just broke her heart. But the family that we're brought into will never be brought back. We're adopted. We're not just fostered. This is what it says, verse 15. It says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. God's not going to leave you back. When God saves you, when He brings you into His family, He says He's going to keep you. You did not receive the spirit. So God's Holy Spirit comes into your life, and you didn't receive this spirit going into your life, the Holy Spirit, whereby you're going to fall into what it used to be like. Before God sought and saved us, we were not free. We were slaves. Slaves to our own passions, slaves to our own desires, slaves to our own wants, slaves to me being in control, slaves to me doing whatever I wanted to do. I was not free. I was a slave. But God came and He saved me from myself. He saved me from sin and brought me into His family. What way does a slave go to bed? A slave goes to bed thinking, did I do enough today? Did I, please my, did I please my master? When I get up in the morning, am I still going to have a rule here? Is he going to get rid of me? But a son doesn't go to bed that way. A son goes to bed sure that he's a member of the family. And he wakes up the next day and he's sure he's still a member of the family. Slaves go to bed fearful. Am I going to be returned? But sons, sons and daughters go to bed with assurance because they know they're members of the family. We're part of a generation where there's not much commitment. You know, you speak to your mum and dad or speak to your granny and grand, and they're always talking about commitment. You young people have no commitment. But, but the world that we live in is not very committed to us. It used to be that whenever you joined a bank, 
whatever it was, Ulster Bank's one Henry Hippo account that I opened up, Ulster Bank were committed to you. And if you wanted a, a loan, went to your bank manager and he gave you a loan. And that was a bank that was committed to you for your whole life. But the banks are no longer committed to us. Or what about a job? You know what it's like. You're trying to get transferable skills. It used to be you got a job and that was your job for life. And your employer was committed to you for the entirety of your work and life. Or you were in a family. And there was always going to be mum and dad. And there's always going to be the kids. And the family were committed. That's not the way it is in 2013. The banks aren't committed to us. The family structure doesn't have that same commitment. Um, the jobs are not safe. So where are you going to find commitment? You'll find commitment with God because God says that he is committed to you and he has brought you into his family. Third application. Third application. What is a true Christian? A true Christian is somebody who can run to a loving father. And I love this point. And I hope you love it too. Verse 15, the second half. What does it say? But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I've been at a few prayer meetings and I've heard different people pray and they've said, Daddy in heaven. I just don't like that term. But, but in fairness to them, the word they use, Daddy, is that term of kind of real closeness and a really warm relationship. And that's the word that's used here in Romans chapter 8. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. And then Paul puts in the Aramaic word, Abba, or Daddy, Father. And this is in the context of crying out to God. Romans chapter 8 is not one of those chapters where everything is bright and cheery. You've just spent a few verses killing sin. You've just spent a few verses thinking about how there's no condemnation. So Romans chapter 8, there's a lot of tough things going on. And it's going to get harder as the chapter goes on. A lot of things you're going to scratch your head and go, how is this possible? How can all things work together for good? But Dad, what does Paul write? He says that in this chapter, this is the time when you can call out to God in your need and in your weakness, Father. And that's what Jesus himself used, Mark 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he says to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. A Christian is somebody who can run to a loving Father. Sometimes it seems that God's providence runs contrary to his promises. Sometimes you will scratch your head and go, what in the world is going on? But you can run to God as Father. Um, Mourn's a kind of strange church, the church that I, I, run, I work in, because we have a lot of people there. And one of the strange things about Mourn is that we, we have a lot of funerals. Um, and I was talking to a minister the other day, and he told me that he had, did he tell me he had four funerals in nine years? Four, nine years. The church that I work in, we have like 35 funerals a year. Um, I'm not selling this church to the young people, am I? Um, but I'll tell you, one of the most amazing things about walking into a home is walking into a home and letting and listening to people praying. And when you walk into a home and they say to you, pray, or you say, look, we'll pray together, let me tell you where the difference is. The difference is when you open your mouth and you address God. I walk into the neonatal unit in the Royal and I don't know the people. I don't know the dad. I don't know the mum. I've never said, seen this baby before. And this baby's lying, fighting for its life. And I know as a minister, I'm going to have to pray. And so I plug up the courage, not knowing these people, and say, can I pray? And then I say, Father in heaven. And I'm telling you, that changes everything for me. I don't pray, O thou who camest from above, the great celestial being who has revealed yourself in the word. I say, Father. And when you pray, 
Let me tell you, there's all the difference in the world praying to a God that you don't know and a Father that you do know. I was visiting an old man yesterday, and his name's Sam. <laughs> and Sam's big crack. Sam drives one of them wee scooters. You know the wee scooters that have the kind of like yellow wee cab? Well, we're in that sc scooter, Sam's going nowhere, and he's a danger in that scooter. I'm waiting for him to go you know, over the body someday. He says to me yesterday, he says, this is so morbid, nobody's going to come to mourn after that. He says, you know, he says, I know I'm soon going to be up the back of the church. And I was like, you what? He says, I'm soon going to be up the back of the church. And I was saying, what's he talking about? And then I remembered our graveyards at the back of the church. And Sam was telling me he's soon going to die. And I said, Sam, why are you saying that? And he says, I'm starting to dribble. He said, I had my 90th birthday in February. He says, I can't control my lower lip now. And I'm start, saliva is starting to come out. I'm starting to dribble. He says, I know I'm on the way out. And I said, Sam, catch yourself on. And then you know what he said to me? He says, but I can still pray this prayer. And this is what he said. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor... And he prayed this without reading it off the top of his head. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this old man who thinks he's on the way out, he knows that prayer. Why does he know that prayer? Because he knows God as Father. And if the Lord spares me, they'll someday I'll maybe stand at his grave for his funeral. And I can tell you it'll make all the difference in the world when I speak about this man who knew God, not just as God, but as his Father. Religious people will speak to a God that they don't know. But the saved person, the person who is a Christian, can speak to the God that they do know as Father. And friends, let me tell you, that is an amazing privilege. The creator and sustainer of all things brings you into his family. What else? Well, the fourth application, let me share it with you. The fourth application, I think, here is that we have a security. Secure in this family, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So this is something supernatural here. One of the things that I really struggled with in school school I went to was Belfast since, so go into the town beside the technical college that they're selling. Some of you are smirking, you obviously went to Methody and are jealous. But I went to Belfast since, and I remember struggling and inst for assurance until one day I went to SU, and the guy speaking, I think it was in the biology department, and he spoke an assurance that day. And that day really, really helped me, because he said, trust God's sure promises. If God said it, you can believe it. And God does give us assurance through his word. Um, John 1 verse 12 tells us that. But God also gives us assurance through the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's something supernatural happens here. You're maybe here tonight thinking, am I a Christian? Am I, did I pray the right prayer? Did I say the right thing? Did I do it at the right time? What about all the sins that I've committed? What about all the things that I've messed up? Am I really a Christian? Well, a Christian will know something supernatural because God works in our life. It says, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit and deep inner being. You can't generate this. You can't make this up. You can't sing praise songs to Jesus, love songs to Jesus, and generate this kind of assurance. God works in our life. And so there's this awareness this security, you belong. Let me give you a few, not just applications, but implications. If you're sure you belong to the family, let me tell you some of the ways which I think that should show itself in our lives. 
If we have this assurance and security that we're part of the family, that if God's Spirit is, is working in our spirit and our lives and giving us this assurance, let's think about this. It should mean that we are not proud people. We should be marked by humility. Because I don't have to prove anything to you. I don't have to be the greatest singer. I don't have to be the biggest show-off. Why? Because my security is not in pleasing you or putting on a performance for you. My security is not in putting you down so that I put myself up. My security is that I belong to a family. If you're a member of the family, are you marked by humility? Have you got that security? If you're a member of the family, are you marked by a love for others? If we're members of the family, if we're sure we belong, then we should have attitudes of family members and not servants. Uh, somebody said to me recently, we've all got the attitudes of servants until somebody treats us like a servant, then we don't have that attitude anymore. Have you got that? Have you, you like that? I have the attitude of a servant. I said this to my dad recently. Um, I said, well, I didn't say anything to him. I said to him, Dad, catch yourself on. Those people are insulting you. You should walk over the top of them. And he was such a Christian. He's a minister. He was such a Christian. He said, Andrew, I'm going to work with these people. I'm just going to try my best to get on with them. And I'm like, Dad, but what have they said to you? How have they treated you? And he challenged me because he had the attitude of a servant, even though he was treated like a servant. If I'm secure in the family, if I belong, then I can be rest assured that my father's pleased with me. And whether you're pleased with me or whether you're not, that's how my father thinks about me. You know what? I could even release some of the things that I cordon off. If I'm doing something and you come along to me and say, you know what? You could do that a wee bit better. I'm not going to be that jumpy about it. Why? Because it's not from doing this thing that I get my security. It's from God as my Father that I get my security. So I don't need to coordinate off. I don't need to stop anybody else being involved. And what about this one? If I'm secure in my position in God's family as his son or his daughter, then I'm going to find my comfort there. Finish this sentence for me, right? Just finish it tonight. If only. What would you finish that sentence with, if only? If only, if only he would go out with me. If only I was sure I was going to have a job. If only I was shorter or taller. If only my BO would clear up. If, whatever you'd put for that, if only. But you will not find your security in an if only. If only I, if only I had, a, had a girlfriend. If only I had a great job. Then, then I'd be secure. Whatever you had put for that, if only, that is not where your security is found. If only I wasn't lonely. If only people spoke to me at CU. If only I came along, and if only somebody talked to me at the end so that I didn't have to initiate conversation. No matter what you put in that, if only, your security is not in that, if only. Your security is knowing God as your Father and being a member of His family. And the final application. What's a true Christian? A true Christian is somebody who knows God as Father. And verse 17 says, a true Christian who knows God as Father is somebody who's been written into the will. I studied squash at Jordanstown and also alongside that I did law. And one of the things that I can tell you about law from working in a solicitor's office is that where there is a will, there's always going to be a war because people will fall out. Maybe you know that that's like in your family. Your mum or dad, your granny and granddad just didn't give them the same as the brother and sisters and loggerheads. And that's the way it is in families. Sometimes things just don't work out as we want them to work out. But if you're a Christian, you've been written into a will and you will never be scrubbed out. Verse 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you've been truly adopted, you've been brought into a family, and you have all the privileges. Romans 8 verse 32, just look down in your Bibles and you'll see a verse that means the world to me. It says, if God has given us Christ, he will give us, listen to this, all things. If you're a Christian, because God has given you Jesus, he'll give you all things. And here in this life, God says, all blessings in Christ will come to us. But for the Christian, we can say, the best, the best is yet to be. There's going to come a day where this world is wrapped up. If there is no eternity, if there is no forever after, if there is no heaven, if there is no new earth, and Christianity does not have the impact on us that it should have, but there is a hereafter. Romans 8 verse 23, there's going to be a new creation. You're going to have a new body. You're going to have constant fellowship with God. Jesus will be there. You're going to be gloriously conformed to the image of Jesus. 8 verse 29, and you're going to know glory in the future. That's what's waiting for you. That's your inheritance. But the way it works in the Christian life, suffer now, glory later. Suffer now, glory later. So suffer. I was reading the Open Doors magazine. Um, I'm sure you've been watching the TV. The Arab Spring, you've heard of that term in the news. Arab Spring equals Christian winter. Who are the Christians? Let's just talk about it. Who are the Christians who are going to suffer for the gospel and go and be missionaries in Saudi Arabia? Go and convert somebody in Saudi Arabia and see how long it is before they put you in jail. Be the Christians who say, look, we're going to stand up, God, and we're going to be prepared to suffer for you, to see more people come into your kingdom so that your name is lifted up, so people worship you. We're going to suffer for you. We're a generation that doesn't like suffering, but we've got to be a generation that likes suffering because we're supposed to suffer now for glory later. I don't know if any of you watch TV on a Sunday. I'm not a big Sunday TV watcher, and I don't encourage it, to be honest with you, but the iPlayer is a great invention. And this past week on Sunday night at 9 o'clock, I'm a true blue Presbyterian, and I'm sure all of you are watching on Sunday night, 9 o'clock, there was a program about the Presbyterian heritage. Did anybody see that program? No. Okay. Well, that's a good one. But go home and watch it on the iPlayer. BBC Two is all about the heritage of Presbyterians. That's how sad I am now. But let me tell you a story from that period that is a tremendous story. In Scotland in the 1600s, Charles II was king, and Charles II persecuted believers. He, believed, he persecuted what were called covenanters. And so covenanters, Christians who believed the Bible, trusted in Jesus for in faith alone, those Christians were persecuted. They weren't allowed to meet in churches. They had to go and meet in woodlands. They had to go and meet in places where the, the army wouldn't think to look. Otherwise, they would get lifted and possibly killed. And the story is told about this little covenanter girl called Mary. And Mary was 16 years of age, and it was a Sunday, and Mary was a Christian, and so she was going to a meeting with other Christians. And she was going to this meeting, not in the church, but in the woods, and as she was making her way to this meeting, she turned round the lane, and there in the lane, in the middle of the road, stood the soldiers of Charles II, and they said to Mary, Mary, where are you going? What are you doing on a Sunday? Where are you walking to? And this is her answer, and I think it's a brilliant answer. She said... My elder brother has died, and I'm going to listen to them read the will. My elder brother has died, and I'm going to listen to them read the will. If you are a believer, you know God as your father, but you know Jesus, he is your elder brother. 
And so tonight, what have we been doing? We've been reading the will. All the blessings that are yours here and now and soon to be in the future because of your elder brother. And I trust that you will be able to give the same answer that she did. My elder brother has died, and I've just listened to them. Read the will. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this uh, chapter, Romans chapter 8. We thank you for what it's told us about you, our great God, our holy, eternal Father. And we thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you that we call you Father, not because we're good people, not because we're enthusiastic, not because we're brought up that, this way, but because we're saved. When we trust in Jesus, you bring us into your family. Lord, I thank you for this CU group. I pray that they've been blessed tonight as we've thought about what you've, you've said in your word. For those that are not yet believers, I would ask that you would bring them into the family even tonight. And for those that are believers, I would ask, Father, that you would strengthen them, that they would remember who they are, that they would remember you, they're your children. Father, we ask that we would know great blessing from your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Peter's coming up here. Okay, so we've got one question at the minute. One question. Okay. okay. I've got one to ask too. Okay. Okay, so it says... You said God will never return us, uh -huh. but what's your view on a Christian losing their faith, i.e. if someone rebukes their faith? Re okay. Um, let me ask you a question. I don't know who asked this question, so let me ask you a question. What is the evidence? Okay, that's the word evidence. What is the evidence that you're a Christian? Not how do you become a Christian. You become a Christian when through faith you grab hold of Jesus. You enter into that relationship with Jesus. But the evidence that I'm a Christian is I am somebody who is going on with God today. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 14. We've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. All those warnings in Hebrews, you know, you've tasted the heavenly calling. I think that's talking about like Simon in Acts chapter 8. Simon in Acts chapter 8 was the guy who tasted some of the blessings, or Judas, somebody who tasted some of the blessings, but they didn't walk with God. So somebody who's a Christian is somebody who's showing evidence of being a Christian today. If I'm not, if you saw me two weeks time, right, and I was lying out at the bot, totally out of it, drunk off my head, okay, and I said to you, you know, I've been sleeping around with this girl and this is what I've been smoking recently, um, whatever. I've to have no time for this Christian stuff, no time for this Bible. Would I still be a Christian? Well, I would say if I came back to the Lord, I would be a Christian. But in that moment, I am showing no evidence of being a Christian. And the Bible asks the question, what is the evidence that you're a Christian? And Romans 3, or Hebrews 3.14 says, the evidence that you're a Christian is that you're going on today. So, just go back to this. If I turn my back on God and walk away from Him, and this is, my, this is my answer, and I, I want to back it up from the Bible. If I turn my back on God and walk away from Him and die in that state, then I think the Bible would tell me that I was never truly converted. I was one of those people, according to Hebrews, who tasted, but had never fully yet. Does that make... If you want to text through a comeback, please do, or grab me at the end. Just don't thump me. Okay. Okay. And then I'll just ask my one. Is okay. You talked about living in the Spirit, having the Spirit, and being led by the Spirit. Uh -huh. what, how do you know it's the Spirit leading you? Or? Okay. <laughs> what, okay, the Trinity. Tell me, some, tell me who's in the Trinity. 
God the God who? Father. Okay, some people say to me, Andrew, 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 you, you, you're one of these new people that believes in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. You're, you're one of these people that's always banging on about the Bible, aren't you? You know, Bible this and Bible that. You, you know, what about the Spirit? What about being moved by the Spirit? Like I went to a meeting the other day, and, and a guy said to me, just speak as you're led by the Spirit. And I was thinking, I'll just, I'll just preach the Bible. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, some people draw this division between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And I think that in the Bible, what do we find? That there's no division. As I'm speaking to you here tonight, I believe that if there's anything good happens tonight, it's because God, the Holy Spirit, has been moving amongst us. And I think we're led by the Spirit supremely as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to our hearts. And so I don't have to go, you know, Peter, you're pretty attractive and I'm led. Oh, you know, I, I know that. I, <laughs> sorry, I'm only joking you, all right? How, how, do I, how do I know? And I could say, you know, he, his hair is lovely and his muscles are, are growing. Um, <laughs> and his stubble is... That, that is baby soft, no joke. Peter Gordon. Um, girls, this guy's a catch, you know. Um, how, do I, how, do I know that, how do I know that that's wrong? I could say, look, I'm led this way. I've prayed about it. I've prayed about it. And I'm, I've prayed about it. And I'm led this way. How do I know that's wrong? I believe that I'm led by the Spirit because I open up the Word of God and the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to my heart. So being led by the Spirit, I think it's supremely, supremely going to be through, through the Bible. I believe that God can speak to us in any way. God could send an angel. You could have a dream. You could have a vision. God could do super amazing things. A friend of mine even told me, okay, she was a missionary. She was an, uh, a physio at Jordanstown. She went to uh, Turkey the border of Iraq, and worked with the Kurdish people in Turkey, uh, the, the Iraqi Kurds in that kind of border area. And she told me this, believe it or believe it not, that a dog spoke to a man, told him the gospel, and he got saved. Yeah. A dog, by why, you know, the things that are in crufts. Does that, uh, that is never, a dog has never spoken to me. Certainly not while I've been sober. Now I'm going to show you what I'm going to drink. So God can speak to us in God can speak to you in any way possible. I believe that. I believe God can do what he wants. But you know what? How does God normally speak to us? How does the Spirit normally lead us? 99.9 .9 recurring percent of the time is between Genesis chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 2. And so I'm led by the Spirit of God as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to my Thank you, Andy. You're looking at me like nervous, I'm grand. I'm just I'm wondering sick. about that. So you've, you've talked twice, and I think this is why this question's come in, about alcohol. I don't know where it came from. It's maybe about a view of you sitting outside the bot. I don't know. But what is your view on Christians drinking alcohol? Okay. The whole idea. Yeah, you're going to hear from it. So let me go for it anyway. What is my view on Christians drinking alcohol? I do. Hello. We're, Charles, we're off air, are we? Okay. So you've cut that for the tape then, Charles. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I came to university in Jordanstown, and okay, I went to an all-boys school. That's not why I'm cracking on a Peter here. I'm only messing around, okay? And uh, <laughs> this is not going well tonight, honestly. Uh, and uh, and I came to university, and I just wanted to, you know, 
do with Colin Hamilton does, you know, chase girls, get on with people, you know, basically I was pretty much it. Although Colin's a lovely fella, honestly, he's a good guy. Um, I got your back. And <laughs> I remember starting University of Ulster and we came into the, the Christian Union, or not the Christian Union, the Students' Union, like the first day, and this guy was just being friendly. He just set a pint in front of me. And I was like, uh, I don't drink. And he was like, sorry? I was like, I don't drink. And he just looked at me as if with two heads. I was like, I, I just don't drink alcohol. And as I, I, I've spent seven years at university. Seven years. If you can get seven years out of it, go for it. I mean, it is, it is brilliant. And many, I talk to, I know Christians, and they say, look, I'm only having a drink. The Bible, look, let me just say, the Bible does not say it's wrong to drink alcohol. Jesus turned water into wine, okay? You can take a drink, and the, you can take a drink of alcohol, and that is not a sin. But if you want my advice, turn the other direction and start running. I've never seen anything good coming out of a drink. I, I speak, you know, do Q&As in Christian unions, and there's always this question. People say to me, they, they come up to me at the end, and they say, you know, but I'm evangelizing. I'm evangelizing this someday. I'm, I'm going to a nightclub to evangelize. <laughs> You're going to a nightclub to evangelize. Yeah, like, hello, I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? Here's my number. Call me. I'm a missionary. You know, that's... <laughs> That's not evangelism. You know, you're not going to be talking about Romans 8 down the pub. You're not going to be talking about Romans 8 in a club. Can you drink, have a drink with your, with your friends? You can. Is that a sin? No. But if you want my advice, just walk away. Run the other direction. In our prayer meeting, there's a couple of people who pray that people will never take their first drink. And you know who those people are that pray that prayer? The ones that used to own pubs. They're the ones. The, one, the guy that does um, what, Samaritans. It's a guy that's on the Samaritan's phone. Is a guy that prays in our prayer meeting. Lord, especially at Christmas, he says, Lord, at this time of year, many people will be taking the first drink, and God, I pray they'll never take that drink. And so if you're a Christian, you want my advice? Run from it. Just run from it. You look through church history, and what will you find? You'll find that in times of revival, what happened? People drank less. You'll find that in times of revival, what happened? Pubs closed. And I know you want to have a good time, and I know you want to hang out with your mates, and I know you want to chase girls. They're all good. Fine. But you can do those things without a drink in your hand. I have loads of crack, and I, and I don't drink. Um, some of my friends that are Christians do drink. I, I'll never encourage it. I'll say run the opposite direction. Now, if you want to talk to me about that at the end, I have no problem with that, but that's my two pence. Thank you, Andrew. That's you free. <laughs> okay, thanks very much. Thanks for having me.